Beautiful listeners, you know we love you, and we appreciate all the support you've given us to this point. If you would like to further support us in our art, in our effort to allow these wonderful conversations to continue to take place, head over to patreon.com slash inside the sound. Well, hey there, beautiful listeners. Welcome back inside the sound. This is Michael. And this is Ryan. And we are quite pleased to have a very special guest uh, joining us today. Would you care to introduce yourself to our beautiful listeners? Hey, this is Blake Morgan. Happy to be here. The wickedly talented, the one and only. Really full volume. Got to find yeah, a different think, way to make I crowd noise. Okay, all right. We're yeah, we we made it. We, hello, the crowd. Welcome to the crowd. We need a live studio audience, like back in the day. You know? A live studio audience. We need to do the live studio audience thing. Yeah, you know, like chairs and a desk, maybe like a couch. I don't know, something official, cameras and things. We could do that. Wait, I didn't lose you guys, did I? Well, I wonder. I wonder if I got them back yet. Hold on one sec. We back? Okay. Yeah, we might need to restart. That was a really long and awkward pause there. Uh, we can probably edit that out. I, that's, that's on my end, dude. It's totally my fault. It's my uh, internet. The, so you switched to the worst one then? Apparently. No, I did not. How dare you? It was still confused. The computer was confused. It's fine. Let's get back uh, back to Star Show. Uh, we were just welcoming Blake to the show, man. And uh, man, really happy to have you come join us. Uh, definitely enjoying the music and enjoying what you're working on. So kind of excited to chat with you a bit and, and you know, hear about your process a bit, man. Yeah, good to be here, man. Thanks. Why don't we... Uh jump right in and and start by talking about your origins into music maybe you could give us a little insight into that well i've answered this question about a hundred times in the last hundred hours but I, i'm going to do it again <laughs> so this is, uh, this, this is going to be the best answer though because you've yeah, had the chance to practice super, it's super polished um exactly. i've been playing i've, I've been playing and making music since I was four years old. And uh, I was on a path to be a concert pianist when I was a little kid. And I grew up in an artistic household. Both my parents are writers. And I think if I had grown up to become an accountant or a, or a lawyer, that would have been more rebellious than me becoming a, a musician. So I've, I've really never wanted to do anything in my life other than, other than uh, be a music maker. I, I think when I saw all the president's men when I was a kid, like 
20 minutes for 20 minutes after I saw that movie, I wanted to be an investigative journalist and <laughs> that faded by the time I got home. And, and I've, I've honestly just never wanted to do anything else. Um, once rock and roll hit me and, and, and took, took hold of me, uh, that was it. So the, the, the classical path was, was one I abandoned and, uh, I've been, you know, I've been, I've been doing that in one form or another, uh, you know, since I was like 13 years old and, um, it's, 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 it's what I've, it's what I've always wanted to do and it's what I get to do. So it's, it's, it's worked out. Now you said rock and roll hits you. I have to ask what hit you? What was it? Like, was there a particular artist or song or album that was like, this is it. So my, my parents, like I said, are, are both artists and uh, music was always playing in our house. And uh, because they're artists who treat work with, uh, respect and dignity, our record collection, our vinyl collection was not just organized by artists. It was also organized chronologically by artists. Great. So That's great. Uh, I was already listening to the Beatles um, as a little kid. And, uh, but I, I took this one record off the shelf, uh, which is meet the Beatles with them in the, in the, in the turtlenecks. And I, I point, I was like, I know this guy, I know his name is Ringo, but what are the other ones? <laughs> my mother is a sense memory. My mother was actually getting something out of a closet and she turned around. She went, what are the names of the other ones? Sit down. There's, there's no, no son of mine is going to walk around the city. And I was like four, no son of mine is going to walk around New York city and not know the names of the Beatles. I was like, well, I, I, I think I know. So, you know, it, it, of course it was the Beatles, but specifically it was, it was, um, it was, she loves you that track and that song good one blew blew the back of my head off um in a way that i i can't say has ever diminished every time i hear that track i lose my freaking mind well you and, know with a love like that uh, you know you should be glad but you should be glad and <laughs> and you know the 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 sixth chord that they end on in the vocal harmony at the end uh, just just the whole thing the whole energy of it and the joy of it, you know, the, the joy of it, um, anger and sadness. I didn't know this when I was four, but anger and sadness um, in rock and roll uh, is, is, is common. And, and, uh, and as a songwriter, you know, the, the truth is writing breakup songs and writing angry songs, is actually pretty easy. It's why most songwriters, when they begin, they start writing, they start out writing breakup songs and angry songs, but songs that have joy in them and a buoyancy in them that you actually believe instead of it just being some kind of anodyne gumdrops and lollipops kind of tune. It's actually really hard to do that. And there are very few artists who've really been able to do that. And we know who they are. We, we know it when we hear it. Mm -hmm. And the Beatles possess that in a way that maybe no other artist or band has ever really matched their entire catalog and they've got dark songs they've got angry songs too but even so they're not filled with despair even so there's a defiance to them revolution has a defiance to it that says you know what let's get out of our chairs let's do something here right um and the overwhelming legacy of that band is one of hope and one of love and beatlemania specifically is inseparable from the time in which it happened right after president kennedy was shot these four handsome young guys from another country come and they sing about love and everybody lost their minds in the Ed Sullivan show. And the, the, the thing, one of the things that sets the Beatles apart 
from other rock and roll bands is that kids love the Beatles. Kids don't love Led Zeppelin. I wish they did, but they don't. (laughs) Kids don't love Nirvana. They don't love Nine Inch Nails. They don't love The Who, but they love the Beatles. And I am not the only kid who's heard She Loves You for the first time and lost his freaking mind. Um, and, that's, and, and of course, they have other songs like Yellow Submarine and Octopus's Garden that are very childlike. And so kids relate to them, too. But it's not just that. It's Can't Buy Me Love and She Loves You. And it's the early stuff. Even Help. Kids freak out about Help. I mean, if you ever want to have fun, just put Help on around like four or five, six-year-old kids. They lose their, they lose their brains. And, there's, and that's why the Beatles have endured. It's one of the reasons they've endured in a way that no other band or artist has, because as a new crop of kids comes along and interacts with their music, they, they get, they're, they're hit with the whole thing all over again. It's Beatlemania all over again. So yeah, that's what happened. I heard She Loves You and listened to it 250 times. I actually have a photograph of me as like a four-year-old listening to She Loves You where I'm freaking out. <laughs> you know, there were many other songs where I was freaking out too. And anytime I've freaked out about music since, I've always freaked out in the same way, but I was taught that by my interaction with that song. Not just the song, but the track and how it was recorded. And that has also really informed in ha- me and, and how I have become a record maker and a music maker and what my thought and process is in the recording studio. It, so much of it just comes from you know, and this is true for all of us, what, we're, what imprints upon us when we're little kids. And I think already, even as a four or five-year-old, when I still had many years in music school ahead of me and many years thinking I was going to go down this other path, um, you know, the, the, the seed was already planted where I, I so much, I, 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 I knew that I wanted to be on those stages instead of stages with my nine-foot concert grand. And my feet be barely able to, to, to touch the floor, actually not be able to touch the floor, you know, <laughs> no, that's a long answer, but it's, that's the, that's the truth. That's the right answer. It's a great, great. Long answers so, are encouraged. It's the, good. Yeah. It's good. The bar musically, the bar was set extremely high oh, yeah. at a very young age for you. Yeah. If, if it was the Beatles that, that resonated so deeply with you, um, you brought up something we were actually talking about before you came in, which is there are certain groups and certain records when you turn them on it creates this experience and it's not just you know good sounds but it draws you in in a way that's almost mystical you know and and the beatles were definitely like that like you so you explained so well and we were talking about how your new record is is like that too um it's an experience and it's like we were talking about how it's not very common that you run into that. Um, well, thank you. That's a wonderful compliment. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's, it, I think the word ahead. we were using was hypnotic. Huh? So you'll start it and then you'll want to just keep listening. Well, I think one of the legacies of uh, the Beatles for Beatle lovers is that you get accustomed to the idea that every song on the record should be killer. Yeah. No? Yeah. No if you grow up listening to records of artists where there are three good songs out of 10 or 12, that's a record you can really love. I think, I think, you know, but the Beatles, you know, have higher standards than anybody else because they knew they would be the standard for everybody else. And, you know, talent and hard work kind of count for something too. But I think when, again, when you're imprinted, when that's imprinted upon you, it certainly was imprinted upon me that one of the things it doesn't even, it it doesn't even require effort 
Um, but like, I just want every song to be killer. And a lot of artists, they'll write 15 songs to put 10 songs on there. Then we'll, I'll, I'll finish these 15 tracks and finish these 15 songs. I'll put, then I'll put 11 on the record. I've never been like that. I don't even understand that process. Um, if, if the song isn't good enough to make, to put on the record, why did I write the song? So, you know, I, 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 this new record, Violent Delights, I'm, I'm, I'm proud that every one of the songs uh, meets that standard for me, but I've never really made a record where it's like, yeah, actually, or at least, you know, you, you grow and you out, you outgrow your earlier work as you're supposed to on some level. But my first record, Anger's Candy, when I finished that record, I was like, forget it, man. These 10 songs, I, I can't, this is, this is, there isn't, there isn't a weak link in this artistic chain. And that's how I want each record to be. And uh, that is absolutely something imprinted upon me as a, as a young person. And then as a young emerging music maker, when 50% of what you're made up of is the Beatles, and that's like maybe a low number. But when that's the case, you're just used to every record being better than the one before and every record being filled with 10 and, or in their case, 12, 15 songs that are just ridiculous, ridiculous in, in, you know, in, in their greatness. And my favorite records by other people are records where that's the case, you know, whether it's Radiohead's yeah. Rainbows or Bjork's Homogenic or Punch Brothers who's feeling young now or Madison Cunningham's new record. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a million of, but those are the records where I'm like, Oh boy. Okay. All right. Now this is a whole thing, as you're saying, like an experience. So I'm really glad you felt that way about my new record. I, I certainly want that. Yeah. It's um, that, that's always what I'm looking for. You know, that, that's why you, you stood out. That's, that's why we wanted to talk to you. It's this, like you create this musical world that other people can enter. You know, the, the Beatles did that and you, you explained it so well. So that, that mentality, I guess, it, it just kind of ingrained in you. Uh, and I was curious about that. You, you explained it. But yeah, the mentality of creating an, a record that you can just turn on and just go. Just Set go. it and forget it, man. That's right. Yeah. 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 That's, it's, it's great. And, it, and it, I, you know, I, it, should, it should be that way. Um, there's, you know, I think record making is still a mystery to lay people. Um, people don't know what a producer really does, but somehow lay people all understand how filmmaking works. And so I often talk about music making in terms of filmmaking because people get it. So they don't know what a recording engineer does they don't necessarily know what a record producer does, but a record producer is a film director. That's it. Martin Scorsese is a film director. Well, that job is exactly what a record producer does. And that's why I want to be a record producer. And I have been for all of my records and all the artists I produce and the label I founded, et cetera. But that, that's what a record, it's not someone who hangs around and says, that sounds pretty good. Okay. You know, maybe, I don't know, more, more cowbell. That's not what a producer <laughs> does, right? What a producer does is a producer takes the script, that's the songwriter, right? Takes the songs and says, I understand your script and we have to make this now into a film. The recording engineer is the cinematographer. That's the camera person. 
So the director goes to the cinematographer and says, what I need is I need all these warriors on horses to come over that hill right when the sun rises to show that they're coming to the battle and they're going to save the day. And then the cinematographer goes, okay, great. Now I have to figure out how to shoot that. I have to time the camp. What camera do I use? How do, what's the angle? How do we do this? Where, right? So producer is director, recording artist is cinema, uh, sorry, recording engineer is cinematographer, songwriter is screenwriter. And the person who mixes the record is the film editor. You know, now I've got all this footage. How am I going to put this together? And all of those things also go into making records that have a chance as you were saying, to be an experience. How the record sounds is not simply predicated on the nouns and adjectives and verbs and adverbs. I'm not going to go through all the parts of speech, but it's, it does, it's not simply the lyric writing or the melodies. It also has to do with the guitar sounds. It also has to do with what console is this being thought of or recorded on in a digital world. What is the idea here? What's the vision for the film? Is this a rom-com? Is this a science fiction movie? Because we can't have Vikings and space aliens and Jennifer Hang on. Hang waking on. up her boyfriend. Unless completely it's disagree. That you just, just you just prescribe. I have to I hate to interrupt you, but we got to have that. We got to have Vi- I'm sorry, Vikings, space aliens, saying, yeah, which is Thor. As I right? said that, I realized it was, it was it was it was pretty great. Although. <laughs> Although the continuity, you, know, you need some semblance of continuity. Anderson. That's right. That's one, right. two, three, check all three boxes. You got it. You got it. Right. You got a blockbuster. Some consistency and the wilder, the premise with the Vikings and the aliens and Jennifer Aniston's breakup, <laughs> the, with the wilder, the premise, the more consistent it has to be. Otherwise it's, it's, it's absurd, right? 100%. So the more outside the, the, the script and the idea and the vision for the record is the more it has to be codified and kept consistent. And three, just objectively, three of the uh, three, the three main factors that go into most, if not all of great art are originality, quality, and consistency. For you to be able to trust my record, you have to be able to hear the first track on it and go, wow, this is really, this is pretty good. And when the second track comes on, you have to be met with something that's like, okay, wait, this is actually really good too. I think there's a plan here. Yeah. (laughs) And that plan can be the Ramones with 30 songs on a record, basically taking up 31 minutes, or it can be Pink Floyd and Dark Side of the Moon, or it can be Childish Gambino, or it can be Nina Simone, or it can be, it can be whatever it's going to be, but there's got to be a vision behind it that was kept to, to be able to provide you with this, this piece of work where you'd actually be able to experience it clearly, I would argue. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, the, the great albums stick out, I think, to us because it's, it, it incorporates all these elements. You know, I love talking about the Beatles because I've always liked the Beatles. Everyone likes the Beatles. Uh, and, and there's a few other songs that I've known my whole life, right, that I've loved. But this over this last, gosh, what has it been now, dude? Like just like a year and a half ago, whatever, two years, whatever it's been. I really took like some time and I did a deep dive into the catalog and I was like, oh, my God they're better than I thought they were. It it was just great. And this experience of, you know, they're all, all the albums are just produced. I mean, so well, they're put together so well, you can hit play to start. They're masterclasses. It's insane. I I didn't understand percussion really. Yeah. At least in the rock context until I really listened to what Ringo was doing. 
I'm glad I'm to like, hear you say that. The only thing moly. that will get me close to a bar fight is when someone just is <laughs> once in a while. And it'll be like a musician be like, oh man, I, I don't get him. And I'm just like, if you don't get Ringo, like I'd love, you don't get Ringo Starr. I'd love to hear what your opinion is on pizza and orgasms. No, that was a revelation. I'm like, holy The Rosetta Stone of rock and roll drumming, man. And anyone who saw the Get Back special when it came out over Thanksgiving last year, the Peter Jackson, you know, Beatles movie. I didn't see this. I should have seen this. What's this? Peter Jackson, you say? What are you doing? fantastic. I don't know what I'm doing in my life. What are you doing with your life? Set aside your life, ignore your friends, and watch this three-part, three-part, four-part, three-part. Oh, yeah. Three-part, six, seven-hour Beatles. Get back? Oh, my God. Peter Jackson. You're going to lose your mind. Yeah. I'm going to have a fun yeah. time. Ringo at the height of his powers. And Ringo at the height of his powers. Peak Ringo. Peak Ringo. It's him absolutely just, at, uh, just annihilating. I know other drummers that I love as much as Ringo Starr, like I, a percussion that I like that's up there for me, but I don't think anyone's better. Like, I don't think, well, I think there's a level of mastery. And he and, invented all, like, yeah. when you're the innovator who comes up with all that stuff, like, you know, ask a thousand people on the street, who's the greatest astronaut? And 999 of them are going to say Neil Armstrong, right? And the reason isn't maybe because he's the greatest astronaut, but he was the first one on the moon. Mm. And a thousand years from now, he'll still be the first one on the moon. And in this way, in this style, from that moment, Ringo Starr was the first one on the moon. And I'm a, I love Led Zeppelin more than anyone should. Well, yeah, Bonham is... There's, you know, and John sure. Bonham is absolute hammer from the gods. Oh, and yeah. I, and I adore own. him and I adore his playing. But something I've always said in talking about Led Zeppelin and the Beatles is, you know, Led Zeppelin is arguably position by position, the way you'd think of like a baseball team, like first base, second base, third base. And like those four guys in Led Zeppelin are arguably each of them the greatest of all time at their position. Okay. I mean, you've got Jimmy Page, the, the guitar god of all time. You've got Plant, which is the prototype frontman, yeah, blonde, the yeah. lord of all he surveys, you know. And then you've got John Paul Jones, uh, you know, this polymath, uh, brilliant, not just bass player, but extraordinary musician driving the bus. And then you've got John Bonham, you know, again, arguably the greatest drummer of all time. But what I've always argued is, You've got four musicians who are arguably the greatest of all time at their position, but Led Zeppelin and people will disagree. So I welcome the hate mail, but Led Zeppelin (laughs) is the sum of Led Zeppelin is equal to their parts, which is why they're one of the greatest bands of all time. The Beatles also have four of the greatest musicians of all time, but inherently we all understand that the Beatles are somehow magically greater than the sum of their parts. Okay, and that's because of the synergy between Paul and John and how George grew as a songwriter and what he gave to that band and Ringo, you know, pushing that band up the hill with 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 his unbelievable uh, skill and humor. And, you know, Hard Day's Night was his title. He's the one who, who named the movie. You know, that's, that's his that was his little thing. So the Beatles have this X factor, which is that they also have four of the greatest position players of all time. But the sum of the parts it ha- has this extra thing in it that changed a generation, defined a decade, continues to ripple through our society. And Paul McCartney is on tour right now selling out Fenway freaking Park yeah. two nights in a row. 
you know, there's a reason, you know? And so this is no slight against Led Zeppelin for your listeners who now want to kill me. Um, again, I love Led Zeppelin more than them, but it's, it's just an interesting thing. Most bands are like that, um, where the sum of their parts is somewhere around, the, the sum is equal or somewhere around the sum of their parts. And the Beatles just have this whole other thing that is utterly, uh, it, it's utterly stupefying in yeah, the most I, wonderful way. I, I don't think anyone would argue that point that you're making. It's it's like there's something mystical. It's like when those those four gentlemen, you know, went into the studio, something mystical took place. You know, yeah, you, um, can, you can feel it. Can yeah. Feel it. How how would you? I know a lot of this is subjective, right? And um, but you know, a lot of people, you know, will say music isn't what it used to be, and and you know, we talk about how you know, now it's more single based and you don't really get the experience of a full album that like you used well, to. Well, you do if you listen to it. I mean, that's yeah. how hard that is. <laughs> you know, just listen to the record. Um, and in terms of the single, you know, in, in, in running a record label every day, along with producing records and, and making my own music, you know, it's, I've, I've got this like 30,000 foot view of everything because I'm doing these three things all the time. Right. So it's sort of like I'm Jimmy Stewart and Hitchcock's rear window where it's like, I, I see all of these different windows of, across the street of people living in their apartments, but they can't see each other. So I have a really fortunate kind of superpower, which is that I can see these different things and how they, how they interact. Um, it's been really helpful for me to be able to do that and, re and retain objectivity. But the reason that people are focused on singles right now is because they're being told to focus on singles right now, because we live in a time where we're all doom scrolling on our phones and people don't have the time to listen to a record, but I got to tell doom you scrolling. I like that, doom but it's, but it's time, but, but I got to tell you, it's not it's absolute nonsense. Nobody stopped releasing records. Billie Eilish didn't stop making a record. You know, Kendrick Lamar didn't stop making a record. You can't have a bunch of singles if you don't have a record, you know, you, there's no promotional strategy from a label perspective. You can't just release a new single every two months for the rest of your career, right? So there is something about the late 50s and early 60s model that is familiar to what we're dealing with now, which is that there are a lot of singles and they're pointing towards a record. For my record that just came out this past week, we released three singles and three music videos over seven months leading up to the record release because you're trying to rub two sticks together and come up with a spark. You're trying to wake up an audience and bring other people in so that by the time you get to the record release, you have the biggest audience possible and you found enough people who would be really interested in it along with the fan base that you had walking in. But this is what Star Wars does. This is what, I mean, you know, as soon as they, uh, as soon as Dune was released, they announced that Dune would be coming out again in two years. They, they, we greenlit the movie. There are, they've been, you know, so it, you need it's, that it's, teaser it, trailer, you know? Yeah, man. That new so, Dune was just fantastic, by the way. I really enjoyed it. I loved that. it. Good I loved it. I loved it. Um, and the music was great, too, by the way. So, I'm really you know, interested in... Oh, sorry. No, no, no. It's, I'm just saying, like, um, uh, it, it's not music's fault that what's become... That, that's, that, the expectation or, that the expectations on listeners has decreased. But that's up to us. We don't have to lower our expectations for listeners. Why? You know, and, and by the way, listeners aren't stupid. They know when something is better. They do. 
Mm-hmm. But in the, just because McDonald's sells the most hamburgers doesn't mean that those hamburgers are the best hamburgers. And as soon as you provide someone who's been eating McDonald's hamburgers with a better hamburger, they're like, oh, wow, crap, this is really better. You know, <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with music. music. There's plenty wrong with the music world and how artists are paid for their work. And all of that needs to change. But there's nothing wrong with music and there's nothing wrong with our listeners. If there's a problem, it's that you've got gigantic um, uh, data-driven surveillance capitalist corporations who have inserted themselves in between music makers and music lovers as gatekeepers. In the Haven't they day. inserted that, themselves great way everywhere, of, though? Great imagery. Like yeah. It's our whole, it's our whole freaking, it's this weird lifestyle that's like spread around the globe. And it's this global yeah. thing. It's so well, we're, incredible. We're living, in a, we're living in a dark time precipitated by those exact corporations affecting what people believe is true. They've, they've, you know, uh, who won the election? Are vaccines safe? This is nonsense. This is all nonsense because the, the, you know, the United States has always been a a country that's had an anti-intellectual vein run through it. Isaac Asimov said this. He said, he said, there's always been a vein that's run the United States that has said, my ignorance is as good as your knowledge. And what social media is getting worse with that. Yeah. And and what social media and streaming companies have done is they have amplified that conflict with no hall monitors and a democratization of excellence. Anyone can do any of this. Well, anyone can't. Anyone cannot perform heart surgery. Anyone cannot make a great record. Sorry, folks. You can try. But just because you sing in the shower doesn't make you a professional musician. I'm a professional musician. It's taken my entire life to become as good as I am, however good you think I am. But however good I actually am, it's taken me my whole life. And if I needed heart surgery, I wouldn't go to a guy who played a lot of operation. I'd go to a guy <laughs> or a gal who was an expert heart surgeon, right? You know, we, we were talking oh, to yeah. Gus G a few little while back, and he was talking about how like people ask him to like record the process of him writing a song. And I told him, I was like, you know, I think one of the reasons why it's difficult for you to hit the record and, and, and say we're in, when this thing, I started writing this song right here, as like, it took your whole life. Yeah. It's an entire life to write that one song, right. you know, or it's, it's your whole w- world of experiences go into every new creation or new record. It's not, Absolutely. it isn't just start, you know, the start of it isn't just today. It's, yeah. it started, you know, long time ago. Absolutely. Part of who I'm, you a, are. I, I'm a music maker who doesn't think that what I do is any less or more important than what anybody else does, you know? Um, And I often have to fight to make sure that people understand that what I do and what other music makers do is important. But I'm not someone who thinks that what I do is more or less important than what anybody else does. Anyone with a level of expertise and excellence in any field has had to do what you just said, which is it's taken them their entire lives to have that, to have that expertise, which, and now we're at a point in, in this country where what we've just gone through is an election a couple elections with one person over here who has clear expertise and understanding and over here, a reality television show host. And people actually looked at these two choices and went, God, I don't know. I don't know which one I should go with. That's part of the problem. This, the democratization of knowledge, you know, we should all be adhering to the authority of knowledge. 
that's an authority we should all actually go, actually, you know what? Two plus two does equal four. There's no opinion here. It doesn't equal 4.1. Well, let me, I'll meet you halfway. How about 3.5? No, it doesn't equal 3.5. I'm sorry. Vaccines are safe. We really landed on the moon. Elvis is dead. There's no such thing as mermaids and Sasquatch. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, Mike, okay. Michael Jackson is dead too. People, okay, well, he is. There. You know, uh, lots of people I'm, are. I wish they were. I'm weren't. pretty sure Sasquatch at some point existed, just maybe not <laughs> recently. But you know, there were large primes. Okay, I'll get off there's, that. There's, exactly. There's, there's no footage. Sorry, sorry, everybody. Dang it! And that, that, and that, that footage that, is messed up. And yeah. that has a huge impact on art you know, which is the universe that I operate in. A really good friend of mine, David Poe, is a wonderful songwriter and he's on my record label and he has a new record coming out. You know, he has a great line, which is that when you, tr- when, when you treat music as worth less, you wind up with worthless music. And not, you know, micro penny payments from, from, from streaming services, no payment from radio. Artists have never been paid for radio airplay in the United States, which is something we're working on with our new bill and before Congress. You know, these things have a have an effect on 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 our profession because rock and roll specifically has always been an art form that's been informed by what's going on in the fringes and on the outside until it finds its way into the mainstream and becomes subsumed. You know, so Nirvana flips the script on rock and roll when they come out and all the hair metal bands die like dinosaurs hit by an asteroid. Poor and now and then it only takes a few years for for the major label in music industry world to say it takes the moments to be like, oh, my God, we need another Nirvana. All music in rock and roll changed to hear that. And before you know it, it's really not that long before you wind up with Bush and then later on Nickelback. Nickelback is like the ugly deaf stepdaughter of Nirvana, right? That's People love to hate on Nickelback. They're not the worst. They're not but, the Beatles, but, though. They're not the Beatles. <laughs> but, but, but what's supposed to happen is that that dominant paradigm gets overthrown every eight years, every 10 years. And what's inside gets overthrown by what's been on the outside, whether that's new wave or disco or hip hop, whatever it is. And because the economics of music have changed so much, that's what we're not seeing in pop music. We're seeing this anodyne, like reductive thinking in pop music, which is just major labels trying to make their nut this quarter so that their shareholders will be happy, as opposed to what we used to have, which is major labels going, oh my God, something's breaking out of Seattle. We need one of those, which is healthy. That's what's supposed to happen. It's supposed to be overthrown, but we don't get that anymore. And that's a fundamental problem with the economics of music because indie music doesn't make its way into the mainstream with any genre, whether it's hip hop or metal, the way it used to. And that's something, that's the part of the music world that is broken, that we're going to need to fix if music is in fact going to be worth more instead of being worth less. Yeah. And it's such a valuable part of of society. And we've talked about this so much, how a lot of times the arts somehow get overlooked um, by the general public in the way that it's just everyone's life needs to be enriched by some type of art. And yeah, I mean, it, it, to, to me, it, it's a fundamental piece of the human experience. And all you have to do is look throughout human history, going back tens of thousands of years, everywhere and anywhere, human beings have been able to reasonably secure shelter, 
reasonably secure water, reasonably secure food. As soon as they secure those three things, the very first thing that they do is they start making art. They tell stories around a campfire. Start they, banging drums. They paint on cave walls. Yeah. They paint, they make beads. They, Every early culture and every culture now, as soon as I have enough water, I just had dinner and we have a cave to go to, the very first thing we start doing is singing and dancing and telling stories. And that tells you that it's a fundamental part of who we are as human beings. And when we don't celebrate that and understand that, we're missing something, I believe, about our own humanity. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with that. I really, yeah, that's so right. I really, really feel passionate about what you're saying. It's something I, I believe with my my whole self. I, I, I like to say that everyone is really a musician. I, I don't think everyone necessarily is a professional musician, but you see, everyone's heart beats in rhythm. Uh, and I always like to say that the people with arrhythmia, you know, they're, they're just jazz. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's something, it's like in our DNA, you might not, cause like you might not make the music, but it's, it's this thing called feedback. It's like, yeah. if you have two ears, you know, and you might not even like music. I, I know there are some people that don't claim to really like music that much, but th- there's, there's a song somewhere back there in the catalog that's going to push their buttons, you yeah. know, from way back when, when they were a kid or whatever it is, right? Like it, it, it it's just funny how it works. Like we, th- there's a something there's some vibration in us that responds. We know know beauty when we see it and Mm. it can be a painting. You don't have to know who the painter is. You know it when it grabs you, you know, when a joke is funny and comedy is art. And that's the magic of stand-up comedy, which is everyone in the audience is there hoping to experience an emotion, but they're judging the person on stage every 12 seconds as to whether or not they're going to dole out that emotion for them. Laughter is involuntary. You know it when it's funny. You know when a song has moved you. You know when a film has affected you. You know when a painting or, a, or, a, or dancers, or any, you, you know it. And, it, and it's, it is a magical thing, but it's deeply connected to our humanity. Carl Sagan, my hero, said that life is the only way the universe has to, to perceive itself. Life is the only way the universe has to perceive itself. And one of the ways, that's his quote, but I'll add to it, which is that one of the ways, one of the gifts that we're actually able to give to the universe is art. And every time throughout my life, going back to She Loves You, every time I've encountered a great work of art, my reaction has always been the same, which is, oh my God, look what we can do. Hmm. Look what we can do. Look what we can do. All of us. I take credit as part of humanity. I take credit for Van Gogh's Starry Night. I take credit for, for Nina Simone's Mississippi Goddamn. I take, you know, not because I did it, but because I'm part of the team that did it. You know, I'm part of, uh, I'm part of, of the human race. Look at what we can do. It's incredible. And that's why the great things that last from civilizations, you know, are art and architecture. You know, ancient Rome is long gone, but look at the art we have. Elizabethan England is gone, but look at, look at what we have. We have Marlowe and Shakespeare and so many others, you know, the sixties are, are gone, but we sure have the Beatles, right? Yeah. And you know, this, this conversation, you know, an image in my head is appearing. Uh, Obviously I wasn't at the right age or the right circumstances to get to see the Beatles play live in their prime, which me neither. I wish I would have loved to, but I have seen some of the better known Beatles cover bands. And uh, I think of when they played She Loves You, the, the energy in that room 
okay? Didn't matter how old the person was, okay? The, the youngest person yeah. in there to the oldest person, they were moving. The, this is the their, thing. their heads were moving there. The oh. joy was that, that it was palpable. Totally. Listen, you know? man, I, in, here in New York at a great cinema called Film Forum, which plays a lot of independent film and a lot of famous movies um, that we all watch on TV, but they put them back up on the big screen restored. It's a great thing here. Years ago, they, they did a restoration of Hard Day's Night and they put Hard Day's Night up on the big screen. I'd never seen it on the big screen. And I went with a whole bunch of my friends and the, play, and the theater sold out. And there were all these other musical friends of mine, musician friends in the audience. We hadn't coordinated, but they all had come to see it. Just, just chilling. So we see, we see Hard Day's Night and Hard Day's Night ends with the Beatles performing on a fake television show, but they're performing and they perform all those songs and they perform She Loves You. And as they finish with that six chord on the vocal, this huge Beatles sign blows up in back of them with all these neon lights. Guys, everyone in the theater screamed. We screamed, we stood up, we're like, we're, we were freaking out. And it was, it was Beatlemania all over again. It's like free energy they're giving you. It's like, you know, you say, look look at what we can do. Like we, or we need this, like we need that. We need those experiences. Especially in a dark, in a dark time. It's so, you know, uh, that's when we need great art. I think more than ever, you know, it's not, and not just hope and not just, not just um, feel good stuff. You know, we all want comfort food sometimes, you know, but, but joy, you know, look what we can do. And um, one of the things I really do, I'm, I'm humbled by and I'm grateful for is that the energy of my new record seems to be providing some little sliver of that for people um, in that it has, it does have volition. It has energy. It has, um, it has some hope. And um, I'm, I, I can't tell you how many people have written to me as the singles have come out. And now just in the few days since the record came out, who have just said the simplest and most beautiful thing of all, which is, man, I really needed this. I needed this. I needed this video. You made me smile. I needed this. God, I, I really love this song. I, I needed this record. And that's actually not why I make records. I have to make them because I need them. But it's wonderful when you do and other people need them. Something that happens when you make a record or you put stuff out into the world is as soon as you do, my emotional possession of that work, it no longer completely belongs to me. It's true. Because it immediately starts to belong to other people as well. And that's really powerful. Um, you know, uh, making a, a record is kind of like a Christmas tree. You make this thing and it's perfectly trimmed and it's the size you wanted and it's it's this color and it's this shape and you put it up and it comes out. And what people do, what the audience does is they walk up to the Christmas tree and they put their own ornaments on it. And in the end, that Christmas tree, your record, it changes shape and it starts to look different as the audience connects with it and puts their own stuff on it. And that stuff could be, I'm grieving. I needed this record, man. I love it. You're the bomb, whatever it is. But in the end, the shape and color and nature of the tree changes once the audience is able to, to interact with it. There's something so cool about the way you talked about this earlier, like imprinting. There's something great imagery. It's just like music imprints on us in a way that other art forms 
doesn't quite do it for me. You can hit a replay on a great record from however many years ago, and it's just those emotions will come back. Like it, it. I mean, sure. other other forms well, of art I, do, I do this. Good art yeah. does this, you yeah. know. But there's just That's something why about. I argue that time machines do exist. Yeah, <laughs> there's songs. Right. That. Records, songs, Turn or time a song machine. on. You'll be transported somewhere. I guarantee yeah, you. Yeah, and it, it's that's. I think that's that's such a good point. You know, I I love there. I I love, I love new art, and I love stuff I don't know, so that I can learn. But I but like a like a record that you know and you want to hear again. There's some things that I love coming back to again and again and again and again. Films, or here in New York, like. I go to the Museum of Modern Art probably once a year, and I almost never go to whatever exhibition is on at that moment. I always go to the permanent collection. Um, and I probably shouldn't always do that. But the reason I do that is because the permanent collection there always stays the same, but I change. So every time I visit it, I've changed a little bit. I've gone through something, I've grown, I've evolved. My life is different but it's the same. And so I go to it as a touchstone, but I notice new things. I, I'm moved by different things. I connect different dots. And it's one of the ways I actually find out something about myself because I can count on its consistency and I can notice how I've changed. So I can watch, I can watch Casablanca for the hundredth time and get something out of it I've never gotten before because the movie stays the same, but I change. And that's true for that's true for she loves you, you know, and those are the works of art that um, that I, I, I hold on to as almost like partners throughout my life, because who I was in my 20s and who I am now saw that movie differently, identified with different characters. And that's really one of the magical things. It does transport us. It is it is a time machine, you know, um, and it's why it never it's why. It's why I'm pumped. It's why I love making records. You know, it's why I love making oh, music. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Again, it's we we come we always end up coming to this. Music is so emotionally potent. It's laced with with nuance or, or great art, right? That nuance you talk about, and there's some art like you've illustrated very well. You can enjoy your entire life, and there's always some little nuance that you're going to be able to notice that you know because we change and. But yeah, it's. Yeah. There was, there was a filmmaker friend of mine um, who, who came over to my place because I was, who came over to my studio because I was, I was going to do some music for a, a short film of his. And he noticed, he noticed that I had the DVD for Blade Runner out. It was just like sitting next to the TV or something. And he was like, oh, I love that movie. And I went, oh yeah, no, I've been, I've been watching that uh, this month. And he went, you've been watching it this month. And I'm like, yeah, I've been watching the movie for a month. He's like, you've been watching blade runner for a month i was like <laughs> yeah man what are you watching like i was just like yeah man I, i've watched that movie for a month like i watch it every day some part of it for a month and then i think about it and he's like wow um and he'd never really thought of doing that um but that's how i listen to records too when i fall in love with the record man yeah i won't listen yep. to something else for a month I need especially, to chew on it, you know. I need to like absorb it. Yeah. Especially since you can do that with with just one one of the songs, you know, just yeah. take yeah. it in. So you know, by the time you get through the whole record, that could. That could oh, and and for me, it's a blessing and a curse because I fall like I, I mentioned uh, Madison Cunningham, like her her record I think came out last year. You know, when I first hit that record, I'm hitting it as 
oh my God, these melodies. Oh my God, that lyric. Wow, she's singing great. She's maybe my favorite guitar player. Wow, this is incredible. But the more I get into it and the different ways I listen to it on the monitors in my studio with headphones off the phone, which is the new AM radio. I mean, I, th- these sound so craptastic. I love you listening to music. You need a good right pair of headphones. You need oh, that man. good pair of headphones to really but, get into it. Man. But that gets me into my whole producer, recording engineer, mix engineer. Listening to different speakers. Which, and, yeah. Yeah. And, but also just like, oh, the choice that they did to pan, to pan, they pan the piano to the left and they get, wow. Okay. So they're kind of like the whole, the whole thing. I, I wasn't watching Blade Runner for a month because I think Harrison Ford's cool. I think Harrison Ford's cool, by the way, but <laughs> I'm watching it because I'm noticing how they use the camera. Exactly. And why they lit this in this way, and why they decided to do that with the script. Which I'm sure Harrison way, ap- appreciates a non-Star Wars shout out. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Which, which is also why, which, yeah. which has, which, which, which has informed the music videos I've made this year. You know? oh, yeah, like, I want to talk about that, man. Because like yeah. you've mentioned, you've mentioned Hitchcock, you mentioned Casablanca. I, I get this sense of like old school noir, kind of oh. like classic sensibilities in these music videos of yours that I've seen. Yeah. You know, the black and whites and the suit. And, I mean, heck, you're wearing the suit and tie right now. It's like you stepped out of the music video. I was like, oh my it's god, it's so happy. It's- yeah, man. Yeah, so, uh, some journalist summed up my work recently as pop rock noir. And I died and went to heaven. I mean, it's just like yeah. the greatest three words. That's it. That's it's it. A very, it's that's we, that's a very apt. Yeah, I would say. To use that from now on, you know, pop rock noir. Um, I do. I watch a lot of old movies, um, and a lot of noir. And the filmmaker I worked with on the videos that we've released so far, and in fact, we're making another one this week. Yeah. Um, uh, her name is Alice Teeple. She's a wonderful independent fierce and brilliant filmmaker here in New York. And I knew that I wanted each of these videos to be um, on their own, but I also wanted them connected. Not like there's a story, but I wanted them to exist in a world along with the album cover and all the photography that we've done. I wanted it to all feel like it belongs together because it does to enhance like what you said earlier, like you, you really feel the records and experience. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that you feel that. I wanted to make that very clear that, 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 that this is all, this record's all about this, this stuff. I don't know about the net, the one after this, we'll, we'll deal with that later, but um, absolutely all the cinema that I've watched um, in the last couple of years. And, and prior to that has absolutely informed my vision for this record and those music videos, whether it's third man, somebody said for the first one, the first video released for down below or up above, somebody one, like, wonderfully said, this is like, is if Gene Kelly from singing in the rain had starred in the third man, I'm like, Oh my God, they got it. Yes. And what's really great about that kind of stuff for me also is, you know, what, what we're doing as musicians. And I would argue we're doing this even more so in the indie music world is I feel like what you have to kind of do is you're sort of walking out on your own porch at night with your lantern and your lantern is your music and you're hanging up your lantern and you're hoping that that lantern attracts enough moths, (laughs) right? (laughs) But the thing is, is it's not enough just to attract moths. You have to attract your moths that would be attracted to your lantern. And the way to do that is to make it really clear what your lantern is about, what your music is about, what your work is about. 
And so I really wanted to use those videos, not just to make something cool or even to make something cool that would fit with the music, but to make something really cool that would be really beautiful and fun that would enhance the music on the record and enhance and, and clarify the path between me and you listening to it so that you'd get it and you'd get maybe what I'm about. Now, anytime you do that, you're also going to have people being like, cool, man, but that's not my thing. But I want that. I don't want those mods. I want the mods that'll be attracted to my lantern. And I think a lot of indie artists, sometimes certainly mainstream pop artists do this. I think a mistake that they make is that they try to appeal to everyone hmm. instead of trying to appeal to the people instead of trying not to appeal, but, but, but trying to attract the people who actually would, would want that and be interested in that and be surprised by it and be turned on by it, you know? So that's what, that's what we've tried to do with these videos. Stanley uh, said that, you know, he would write stories that, that I myself would enjoy is what he would say, you know, and, and that's the idea is when you talk about, you know, who you're trying to attract, like what's the purpose behind what you're doing. There's with the internet, and with with the new because the old model is not here anymore it's like there's enough there's enough for everyone to have an audience it's out yeah. there we just you just have to figure out how to how to get those people to notice you yeah i you mean know? someone smart said elegance is refusal and the refusal part of it what we're taught by the internet and what we're taught as musicians, certainly by the internet, is you got to do more, more Instagram stories, TikTok, TikTok, Canvas. You got to constant, constant, constant. Do st and I'm always encouraging people on my label actually to not do that and to put out the choicest, most single malt stuff you can, <laughs> you know, like top shelf, single malt photos, top shelf, single malt videos, top shelf, single malt music. And if you go to my Instagram feed, not that I'm trying to plug it, but if you go there and you look at the photographs, you're going to see a feed that looks and feels like those music videos and feels mm. like my record. And maybe that's not for you. Maybe that's not your thing. That's okay. That's okay. Right. But it's my thing. And that tells people for whom my thing would be their thing that they've arrived at the right spot. Yeah. You talk about, and how did you say That's elegance fine. is refusal? You say elegance like is refusal, yeah. Elegance is refusal to me. I, it's it, it resonated with me because immediately made me think of, well, like okay, and this is an Alan Watts thing, but it's like it's what it's with music. It's not just like it's not just sound that you hear. It's sound silence. It's vibration, right? So it's music is not just the notes that you hear. It's the notes that you leave out. In fact, the notes that you leave out are the most important. Sure. The notes that you don't play. So it's, it's, yeah, it's what it's the intervals between them. It's the distances between them. You know what I mean? Absolutely. When, when you're a kid growing up and, and you're, you're listening and you're performing what people call classical music, but you're, you're, you're doing this kind of music, a you know, a, a for, formal music, mm -hmm. the rests on the staves are just as important as the notes. Very right. And an orchestra in an orchestra, right? If you're the the timpani, you can't it. you can't come in early, man. You got to wait. And you, you can't hold counting. the note too long. You can't hold that note too long. I played right. I played in a in like I played the brass instruments. I I had some of this you know formal, uh, and I was also a classical pianist, right? So I know what you're talking. It's like the, the that uh, the in between stuff is Absolutely. actually really important. Absolutely. And that's true in other art forms too. That's, that's true in fiction writing and filmmaking mm. and, and, you know, uh, uh, but I think, I think in this constant, not just 24 seven, but 
I mean, just relentless minute by minute, again, doom scrolling, we're encouraged to over, just to constantly provide my least favorite word in the English language now, which is content. I don't make content. I make art and maybe you don't like it and maybe you love it, but I don't make content. I'm not a content creator. Okay. And what we're taught now is I make content so that I can get, so I can connect with more users. Well, they're not users, they're listeners. So let's not forget who we are. And again, as part of our humanity. There's nothing you know? wrong with content, but it's like some of the problem with that is it's like what you're doing is you're making the social media company rich because you don't get to keep that data. But uh, no artist you know in the I mean? world came up with the term content to describe For their sure. art. What they mean by content, and by the way, as soon as we attach the words content and pipeline to hmm. art, that's when we were completely effed. Yeah, pipeline. Okay? That, that so what like they want is they want us, we artists, to fill their pipeline with content so they can monetize our listeners whom they call users. Right? Content, right. pipeline, users. Exactly. F you, brother. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. Right? So, and it's a dehumanization, again, of the magical nature of, of listening and viewing and reading and watching that we're talking about here. Why, why, why think about who's dehumanized that? Well, it's the very, it's, it's, it's the, it's the very people who are attempting to do so. And I won't, I, I don't want to, I, I, I will not that's participate. Good, you know, that's a good point. I, is there any, is there any maybe simple piece of advice that you would give to people to, to, to maybe the aid in turning this thing around, you know, as far as that mentality yeah. and that kind of, well, I mean, a big part of my life is music activism, as I know you guys know, and the I Respect Music campaign I started has become the largest grassroots campaign in the history of American music. And we fight for many issues. You can go to irespectmusic.org and learn more. Uh, one of the major issues, of course, is that artists do not get paid for radio airplay in the United States. That is shocking, but true. That is um, shocking. Artists have never been paid for airplay in the United States. We're the only democratic country in the world where artists don't get paid for radio airplay, which means that Aretha Franklin never got one penny for respect being on the radio. Songwriters get paid for art for radio airplay as they should, not as much as they should, but artists don't get paid anything. And because we don't get paid anything at radio, that's also helped allow streaming companies to say, well, we're not going to pay, we're going to pay you micro pennies, but it's better than nothing which is why if we can close the radio loophole after 90 years, it's going to really help us battle with streaming companies and other DSPs who are paying us next to nothing. It, it takes 400,000 streams a month on Spotify for an artist to earn minimum wage. Meanwhile, the average Spotify employee makes $14,000 a month. There's plenty of money in music, gentlemen, but it's not getting to the people who make that music. And one of the tools they use in perpetuating that model is by calling us content creators and our listeners users and them a pipeline. They're not a pipeline. They're a middleman. They're the user. Spotify is the user. It's true. Agreed. And it's like, well, like you said, I mean, if, if, if creators like, well, you know what? Uh, we're not using that word though, right? No, creator is um, great. Just don't uh, skip over the content part. Yeah. Um, we're not going to put our stuff up on there. What are they going to do? You know, it's like they're reliant on us, you know, more so. That's true. But, but again, they've inserted themselves in between creators and listeners, and they've done so in a monopolistic way. There isn't a way to be an indie musician. There really isn't a way to, 
right now they've got a monopoly. Spotify, Apple Music is a little different. They're much better than Spotify. If anyone is listening and they have a Spotify account, please go to Apple Music. They pay musicians, they pay music, they pay artists twice as much as Spotify and songwriters three times as much. But and Tidal is much better as well. But they've for right now they've inserted themselves so deep into our profession that we're going to need systemic and legislative reform in order to break up this monopoly and to ask so. to ask emerging musicians to keep their music off of Spotify is re- it's a really difficult ask in the same way you know I live here in New York City I, a lot of times I'm really upset with the subway system folks but you know what my boycotting the subway system isn't going to change the subway system okay but me working with you know the city and using my power as a voter and getting involved in the issue that can that can uh you know reform the subway system because it needs it you know so spotify right now we're living in a dark time when they have an enormous amount of power neil young and joni mitchell and others taking their music off of spotify was an incredible victory they're able to do that because of the status that they have and i salute their courage um, a class action where millions of, of creators do take their stuff off of Spotify. It's just not going to happen because they're so deeply, Spotify is so deeply entrenched in, in the ecosystem right now. We have to change the ecosystem in a different way. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a, an uphill battle. So I guess uh, beautiful listeners and, and fans of Blake, fans of everything, buying the album is important then, huh? Buying, yeah. buying merch, going to the shows, you know, that, that's a, the most important thing we can do then, huh? Totally. Going to the shows, understanding that there are, that there are streaming options. There are stream, streaming companies are not all like Apple. I do not work for Apple. I have, Apple is far from perfect. They are clearly a better platform and clearly better economically than Spotify. YouTube is the worst. If you're using YouTube to listen to your music, it's, it's legalized piracy. And Spotify is just above that. It's legalized piracy. Um, there, there are streaming options. There are ethical streaming options. Bandcamp is great. Buy music where you can. Go to shows when you can. Um, and also, you know, get involved in the musical struggle right now. Like I said, you can go to irespectmusic.org and sign the petition. If you think congressional petitions don't matter, think again. They really do. It's why we have the American Music Fairness Act, which has a chance to change American music. It's getting voted out of the House Judiciary Committee in the next couple of weeks. It's going to move on to the Senate, something I've fought for since 2013. You know, reform. It always looks impossible till it's done, guys. You know? Yeah, I, I I I like the energy. I like the the passion in this because yeah, we that's what we do. We talk to to you know people that are making this wonderful art and putting it out there in the world. And yeah, it's a gift, but there there's like you said, there should be an adequate compensation for the expertise that's involved. It, it, and you guys, and you know what, you guys doing what you're doing which is putting together a show that cares about music and cares about art and wants to have a, a, a non um, short attention span theater, doom scroll conversation, you know, <laughs> this is a good thing. You know, you guys are, you guys are doing what you can in your way to try to elevate the conversation and elevate the discussion that we're all a part of. And we need that too. We need listeners to understand. I would hope a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, we're talking about records and bands and what they mean to us and the emotional ramifications of it all. That's important for people who think that that's not still going on. It sure is, you know? So I, I thank you guys for giving that a voice too. That's really- yeah, Thank you, Blake. That means a lot, man. 
for yeah, real. And it's it's you know? we want to demystify it too. It's like it's mm. human beings doing this. Yeah. You know, you you had to you know like you said you've dedicated your whole life to be able to do this. Yeah. It, it's it, it's it's not just oh you woke up one day and you're like you know what I'm gonna make an album. It's not right. that simple, people. You know, there's right. a huge process that goes into all of this, and we want we want the you know people that aren't into music that have never picked up an instrument that maybe just love music to, to understand. You know, it's well, I think you there's know, a lot more nuance. Sure, man, and and I, conversations like this uh, heal that rift that these streaming companies have inserted themselves in, into. When music makers and music lovers can have a conversation. At, at, at a at a high level, um, at an unscary but high level about what they love and why they love it, you know that reminds us all why music is important to us. And I would argue once again, it reminds us about this piece of our humanity that's so important to us, especially as we emerge. Hopefully, we're emerging from a pandemic when we've been forced into such detachment yeah. from each other. <clears throat> and you know, in, in the shows that I've been doing, as the pandemic has has lifted um, to the degree that it has, you know, I can't tell you how many people at these shows just weep. Um, and I'd love to take credit for it. Oh my God, my music's so beautiful. They're weeping. And I'm, I, all jokes aside, I'm sure there's some of that in there, but it's really not that it's the shared experience. We've all been listening to music for two years alone. And then people have a chance to experience that hair on the back of the neck together and it's been a way to remind people to reclaim a little bit of that humanity in a beautiful way about something maybe that maybe there's something essential about shared those shared experiences yeah. you know we're talking about I, essential I businesses agree with that you know yeah. because when we're at a show in that moment like you just mentioned it blake when nothing else matters yeah we're perceiving nothing. the universe life is the only way the universe has to perceive itself. And the magic is the three of us go to a show together and something just happens and we know it's powerful and it's moving. We know that we've all perceived it together. We have a shared moment and a shared experience emotionally that you can't quite quantify and you can't quite explain, but it's so, it, you, know, you know, it's funny. It's, it's so different than consuming Tell me that's not content. essential. I agree with well, hundred percent, dude. It, it's so different. Like what you just described, like is so different than sitting in, at your wherever with the phone and you know or the tv or whatever totally it's, seeing a, a, seeing it's a not movie, even close seeing a movie with other people matters yeah. you know and and we were all streaming and there's great shows and there's great movies being put, put you know put on streaming platforms but the story i told about going to see hard day's night with an audience right i freak out when i watch hard day's Night alone because i'm that yeah. guy but you know, in a full theater where people are screaming at from joy because of what they're seeing, that was honest. That happened 45, 50 years, 50 years ago, 55 years ago. It's it's magical because we're sharing the experience. And at a time when we're so divided politically, yeah. and the authority of knowledge has been diminished, so people don't even know what truth is anymore. What could be more helpful, more powerful, more essential than us sharing? beauty together knowing it is such and having a shared emotional experience with it yeah i, I find it fascinating unity oh. right it nurtures a unity yeah like when you're in that crowd you don't care if the person next to you is a different you know religion or right. color skin or whatever like, who cares no, none of that matters it's just nope. right just, we just all we just all love Green Day, man. It's cool. You know? <laughs> <Exactly> <laughs> right? Right, right. You know? We're yeah. we're instantly friends, right? Totally. Exactly. I just it, it 
it's so it's how is it that if you consume content right you sit in front of a screen it it's like this objective thing you might laugh when you watch a funny something that's funny but a lot of times you might smirk or smile but you're not laughing out loud you, you might respond lol but you're not actually laughing Right. You know what and, I mean? and, and, and it's what is it about the the live experience, whatever it is, like you like you mentioned, watching Hard Day's Night or, or the yeah. that that brings it out of the objective and it's like it brings you into the experience and you are and you're a part of it, even though you're the one watching it, not making it. You're experiencing the thing, but you're also experiencing the thing with other people who are experiencing the thing. And one of the something I do when I'm just about finished with a record that I'm producing could be mine, could be somebody else's is I'll bring some people into the recording studio. It's called my red team. And over the pandemic, I had to do it via, you know, via Zoom, via email. But I, I'll bring people into my recording studio when the record is not finished, but it's close to listen to it together. Because what ends up happening to me, who's listened to this record 1,579 times while, it's been, while we've been making it, it's like a test screening. Again, film, film, right? Mm -hmm. People understand music in terms of film. You have a test screening and it's not just to see how it reads to other people. It's how it feels to me when other people are listening to it. So I hear the record totally differently. If the two of you came over to my recording studio and listened to what I, this record that I'm producing, I would feel totally different about, wow, that space is too long after the chorus. Oh my God, the vocal is too loud. Oh my God, he actually laughed at that moment because the guitars were so cool. Like, there's a shared experience to that as well. So I almost, I do these sort of test screenings for stuff as I'm finishing it to, to see how, to see how it feels because of that shared experience. It's, it's not at all dissimilar to the live, to the live experience, but it, it, because what it's about is it's, it's about us experiencing it together and how that feels. I, like I, that. I hear, and I, I hear uh, or watch movies totally differently when I'm watching them with someone else than when I'm watching them alone. You know, because it's, I feel this way. Does she feel this way? Is she feeling that? Am I feeling is there? Is there an element of there's no escaping the reality of what it really is when there's a group of people watching it? Maybe. I, yeah, I think that there's some, there is something undeniable about certain artistic things. How we feel about things is objective. Sorry, is subjective, but some of it is objective, you know, uh, like the McDonald's hamburger thing, when something's better, we just know it. We do. And I can't tell you how many shows I've seen where I don't even like who's on stage. I don't like what they're doing. I don't like the show. I don't like the music. But I like how they're doing it. They're going at it with everything that they have, and they believe what they're doing. And that can sometimes turn me around and be like, I don't love what she's doing, but I sure love how she's doing it. And I wouldn't feel that way if I wasn't in the same room because I believe it, you know? And one of the things specifically about rock and roll is the camera is really close in rock and roll. There's nowhere to hide. Bullshit gets called out, folks. You can't fake it. You can't be a fraud for too long before people catch on. Nobody's, in my opinion, nobody's really ever been able to have a long career in rock and roll without being good because people catch up quickly and you can feel it and smell it. And when you're in the same room together, you really do, you know, because you can feel that this isn't going well, or this is going well. You can feel the magic as it builds. And in fact, I've had this longstanding residency here in New York at Rockwood Music Hall for six years. And very much to my surprise, it's been sold out for six years, which is really great. 
but it's a small room downstairs at Rockwood Music Hall. There's stage three, which is one of the most beautiful, small listening rooms in, in the country. And it always sells out. And there are no windows. You come down this flight of stairs and it's velvet and wood and it's just gorgeous and a grand piano. And what happens over the course of the show is they all come in, all the people come in with their, they're trying to leave their troubles at home. They got a babysitter, their car got jacked, but something happened. Somewhere in the first 10 minutes of the show, all of those things melt away and they're just in this room. And it's a room I joke about. It's like, there's no, it's like a tent and there's no zip in the tent. So all the energy just stays in the room over the course of the show. And by the end of the show, people are really, they're really freaking out. Um, Maybe they're crying, maybe they're laughing, maybe they're cheering, but there's something that, that that room and this residency has really taught me. Um, which is on, on that kind of a small, I was mentioning Green Day before, they don't play in a small room like that. But either way, whether it's Madison Square Garden or Rockwood Music Hall Stage 3, that magic is clearly something that is shared. Um, and it's something I'm really happy that we're beginning to get back to, you know, again, hopefully as, as we emerge from this pandemic, because it, it, it is connected to our humanity and it is yeah. connected to, to basic fundamental things about our humanity. Like you were saying, like, it doesn't matter what the religion or shape of the person sitting next to you is at a concert when you both can turn to each other and be like, rock. Yeah. This kicks ass. And that's powerful. It's that's transcendent. Powerful. It's transcendent. Yeah. It really it brings out the best in, in us and who we're trying to be. Right. Look what we can do. Look what we can exactly. do. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And uh, by the way, I, I want to go see one of your shows. Now. Oh that God. It'd be great. Oh really. yeah, man. Oh yeah. Wow, that sounds like an awesome. Sounds like a great. Well, just the whole idea of a listening room is just. We need more of those. Yeah, (laughs) I just did a big rock band show, you know, for my record release. But I love performing solo in listening rooms. I'll be on. I'm doing a 17 city tour in the fall, um, which will be me performing solo. I love that. I love when you can see the whites of the eyes of the audience and you're all in it together, and um, and you you have a chance at that shared experience. You know. Oh yeah, and um, what. One last thought that I have about what, what you were saying there is, you know, you talked about that people can't fake it, you know, up on stage. And yeah, there's been people, you know, that are like, when you show up, that's when you realize the genius too sometimes. Like when you're in the room and you see them doing it, yeah, you finally understand the true genius in that moment. You yeah. Know? And, 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 and you can feel when it's the real thing. I think Chris Rock was talking about comedy I learned so much about music from hearing stand-up comedians talk about comedy, by the way, because there's something, there's something, something there. Yeah. I know what you mean. You know, uh, comedy is about short little short pieces of art strung together, songs, records. There's something there, but, but Chris Rock was talking about, I think it was Ricky Gervais was talking to him and he was saying like, I worry for comedy because there are all these terrible comedians out there selling out arenas and it's just the same old stuff. Men are like this. Women are like that. I, I, my heart breaks for comedy. And, Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock were sitting with him and they're like, oh, don't worry about that. Those guys don't do very well. He's like, what are you talking about? They're selling out arenas. And Chris Rock said, you know what? Anyone can have a hot year, but nobody's ever had a career in comedy without being funny. Eventually, eventually, and and it's real quick. Eventually comes real quick, but you simply have to be funny. And as a performer, as a musician, you just have to be good at a certain point. You just do. And, oh, but Blake, there are all these pop stars who aren't very good. And my response would be like, yeah, but they don't do very well, <laughs> even though they have right, hundreds right. of millions of streams and dollars. But you know what? These people fade. And again, um, 
sometimes it takes a while for people to catch up to greatness. We, we know it later on. Mozart didn't do very well in the grand scheme of things during his <laughs> lifetime well. either. But, you know, we know greatness when we see it. And, and my, one of my favorite things is when I see it on stage and I'm in the audience in a listening room, which I think is your yeah. point, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I, I think we've come full circle because that's why the Beatles are still the Beatles. Right. Because yeah, that, they, yeah. It just, that magical thing that my five-year-old self went through when I heard <laughs> she loves you, you know, it's still how I feel. And, and great artists like them, are able to communicate that through their recordings, through their performances, um, and through their through their vision. You know, she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got through yeah. almost yeah. the entire conversation without yeah. humming that. Well, I try really hard. It was, um, but every time you say the say it, that's what I hear. I'm like, damn it. I will say this too. <laughs> I had my epiphany um, when it came to percussion. I think it was any time at all. Oh, oh yeah, any time at all. Dwack. Dwack. Yeah. I mean, he's said those things. Yeah. By the way, I should just tell you that any of my fans or friends who will be listening to this interview will be shocked that we spent so much time talking about the Beatles. I'm kidding. It's like all I do. <laughs> so, hey, but you came to the right place. Hey, you man. came to the right place. <laughs> yeah. It's a phenomenon. Anytime you have musicians or musical people or musical level, music lovers talking for, for a while, like there's some internet... Um, axiom uh i forget what it's called but it 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 states that uh the longer people have an internet discussion the more likely it is that hitler or the nazis will be evoked to describe like you know you're like the whatever right but with music it's a different phenomenon that i call the fab foregone conclusion which is that if music lovers sit around it, the longer that music lovers or musicians sit around the more likelihood the, the, the higher the likelihood is that they will begin talking about the beatles and by the way it took us about 29 seconds like Pretty how'd much. you get started in music well you know i've been asked that the question cream a lot. rises to the it top is, right michael the it. cream rises to the top Amen. that's right <laughs> oh well thank you blake this was a very uh this is a great conversation thanks you know, guys i feel better fun, about man. life after having this conversation <laughs> oh, good. Good. yeah i appreciate your insights man and and uh and you know just kind of where your your mind is at and this this approach you take it's thanks. uh it's fascinating i'm wondering if you have or if there are any other words of wisdom that you might like to share with uh with our beautiful listeners if if any of your beautiful listeners are music makers um uh i would say, uh, do not despair and do not give up. If you have a calling to make music, there's a reason. And people who have a calling to become a doctor or a lawyer are not talked out of it. So don't get talked out of making music. And Preach. You, have to, you have to know, to that. you have to know how the music world works and you have to be smart and you have to try to find a way to make money and you have to try to find a way to promote what you're doing and you have to try to find a way to get heard. But the best advice is be great spend the majority of your time focusing on becoming as great as you can possibly be. Because I do believe even in a non-meritorious, uh, in a non-meritocracy, I wish music was a meritocracy, but it's not. But even so, with all the cards stacked against us, greatness endures. And the best shot you have is to be as great as you can and do not settle for plan B. Thank you. Amen to that. I like yeah, that. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's what people getting, need. Not getting being, spiritual, that, getting getting religious well, here. You talking my religion you know here is when you talk like that's this. That's very um, powerful. The the not getting talked out of it. Yeah, when hell it yeah. To, you can get talked to, out of it, then I, then something talked you into it. 
Can you imagine some, can you imagine some dummy, if some dummy like talked Jimi Hendrix out of playing the guitar, like somebody probably tried well, they wouldn't to. Have been able to. That's I why know, he's but it's just, it, it's just, but you're right. It's like, nobody talk, tries to talk you out of being a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. It's like, no. Yeah. And, and the, the flip side of the inspirational thing I just said is, uh, you know, if you cannot do music, you shouldn't. <laughs> I can't not do music. You know, if, if you can live with, if you can live without making music, you should. Um, wow. Tell them because, like it is. Uh, because you're not for real. Sorry, but you're not, you know, and, uh, and that's what it will require for you to actually be able to do this. And, and it's not like uh, that, that's what it requires for me to do this now. I don't know where I'm going to be five years from now, 10 years from now. Maybe we'll talk again. We'll see. We'll see if I'm still kicking. You know what I mean? But the only I certainly, certainly there, love to chat about the next album yeah. for sure. I mean, yeah, man. heck yeah. Well, that's uh that's been a thread and an inevitable thread that yeah. the people that end up doing this and sticking to it, there was something inside of them that said, I can't live without this. Right. It, I've often said, I mean, this is probably a good, a good way to close the interview. You know, um, Sometimes I'm asked like, you know, what's, what's your, uh, what's your, how would you describe your relationship to music? And I always say the same thing, which is that my relationship to music is, is identical to my relationship to breathing in that I really like doing it. I really want to keep doing it, <laughs> but if I didn't like doing it, it wouldn't matter because I'd still have to keep doing it to stay alive. So music is not a choice for me. I have no choice. This is what I have to do. Without it, I wouldn't be alive. I really do enjoy breathing, but if I didn't, it wouldn't matter. I'd still have to keep breathing in order to stay alive. That's my relationship with music. And if that's your relationship to music, dear listeners, I'd say you have a shot. Shoot for the moon. Don't fake the footage. Right. <laughs> exactly. Be Neil Armstrong. Pretty sure we made it to the moon. I'm just not sure about the footage. That's all. I I believe that we made. I do believe we went to the moon. I just okay. I, where I where would you here. direct people that, yes. that want to delve into your musical catalog? Oh. They want to find you. You know, out yeah, on the man. road. Or- you uh, the best way to do it is go to blakemorgan.com or find me on all the socials. I'm at the Blake Morgan. And um, yeah, man, tours coming in this fall, vinyl release of the new record. This Just fall. to clarify, it's the Blake Morgan, not the Blake Morgan, just so I get Correct. that right. It's okay. the Blake Morgan, not the. the right. All right, good. All right. Um, you, can pronounce, you can pronounce it anyway. But, but uh, yeah, find me on the socials, the Blake Morgan, and, um, uh, or, or go to the website and um, you know, stay connected. Oh, yeah. Please go check out Violent Delights. You will not be disappointed. It's a fantastic record, man. Thanks. Fe- thanks so much for having me, fellas. Absolutely. Um, Brian, you know, I'm wondering if in that, that big, you know, brilliant mind of yours, if you have any words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our, uh, with our beautiful listeners. Let's just be wild and free, baby. Folks, thanks for listening. You know, we love you. Bye. I'm here inside the sound of